0: Our scripture this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, for which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Thanks, John. We're
1: working uh, through a series, a topical series on pain. And um, we've looked at painful uh, decisions. I'm having trouble reading that one. Painful finances. Last week, uh, Pastor Eddie took us through painful bodies. And um, today, we're coming to painful losses. And then next week we'll look at painful relationships and finally um, painful sins. So uh, as we commence, I'm just going to lead us in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, there are many among us who right now have suffered painful losses and are struggling. And we pray that we might know from your word the comfort that you provide. Be with us now. Open our ears to hear your words to us and our hearts to receive In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're talking about painful losses today, and um, you may think that that's uh, about losing someone through death, and certainly that is the case. But there are a number of losses that cause grief for us. There's the loss of relationship, the loss of a career, perhaps through redundancy or maybe through retirement. There's the loss of financial stability that may come through our own decisions or through circumstances beyond our control or sometimes through the evil actions of others. The loss of home or community if we move, There can be a loss related to health. Perhaps we've received a a diagnosis of an illness which will be with us for the rest of our lives. There can be the loss of dreams and goals, loss because of infertility. And there are spiritual losses as well. Some uh, 50-odd years ago, uh, some psychologists, T.H. Holmes and R.H. Rahi, I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly, but they created the Social Readjustment Rating Scale and they, they gave different life experiences uh, a rating value and, and it, the design of this was to say, are there common things that people go through in life that cause stress um, which can affect you psychologically? And death of a spouse came up as 100 points as the the most stressful thing that a person can encounter in their life. Um, there are a number of other things there that um, that were all related to, to loss and grief, and they were things that were not related to loss and grief. There are changes in life that occur that, that don't have the same sort of loss um, or, or are considered to be good things in life um, that are on the scale that I haven't listed there but the point is that it's recognized in our culture that loss comes with significant uh, emotional and psychological consequences for people. There are many um, writings about loss and grief but one of the most well-known is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who in 1969 in her um, book on death and dying wrote that there were five stages of grief denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. These are widely agreed to be uh, stages of grief but they're not meant to be linear uh, and not everyone experiences all of them and there are other Uh, people who've studied in loss and grief who say that there are seven stages or ten or but you get the idea that there are some commonalities that come through when people are dealing with grief. I wanted to share briefly with you and some of you know uh, my story, um, our story, my wife Catherine and I, um, 29 years ago now um, we had a a daughter who was stillborn, and that still affects us today. Now, through that experience, we joined uh, a support group that was run locally. We were living down in the Southern Highlands, and um, the lady who ran the local support group for parents that had lost children happened to be a member of our church. And we felt pressured. Well, no, that's probably harsh. She invited us. <laughs> um, to go. We, we had always said we, we never thought that we would, you know, want to do something like that. Um, but out of courtesy to her, we went once and we stayed for two years. Um, and we found a, a tremendous amount of support amongst other people who had lost children. We became involved with SIDS and Kids, uh, as it was known then, which... Um, had sort of expanded their remit not just to support parents who had lost children through cot death, but to support parents who had lost babies through miscarriage and stillbirth and for any other reason, who had lost young children. Uh, We were parent supporters with SIDS and Kids for about 10 years, um, supporting other parents who had suffered this loss and uh, doing telephone counselling with people. Uh, As it happens, some years after that, I ended up working as a funeral director, which I still do part-time, and so I encounter um, every week families who have had someone pass away, and uh, if you want to know a bit more about that, we're going to have an interview segment uh, in tonight's service um, where we'll interact uh, and I'll answer some questions about that. Um, So that's 5.30 tonight if you want to come. But some might suggest that I'm an expert in this field. Um, I did ask to do today's sermon. I said to Jonathan I felt like it would be helpful for me to do so. But one of the key things that I've learned in my journey is that loss and grief is very personal. And in fact, while I have suffered loss, and I'm sure many here have suffered loss of one kind or another, everyone has their own personal journey of loss. Your grief is your own. No one can tell you how to grieve because everyone grieves in a different way. In fact, where you might think that uh, the loss of a child might bring couples together, sadly, one of the things that we discovered in our work with SIDS and kids is that quite frequently because father and mother grieve differently, marriages break down following the loss of a baby. Everyone grieves differently. Just recently, I was working with a family, uh, organising a funeral. And I had to play family counsellor because I had two different members of the family coming and talking to me about what they wanted for the funeral arrangements. And I had to gently try and encourage them to try and accommodate each other because everyone grieves differently and we don't have to grieve the same. Grief is variable. It's changing, it's unpredictable. And many people experience isolation and loneliness in their grief, even though they're surrounded by other people. Um, I like to use the ocean as a metaphor. When you're grieving, it's like you're floating in the ocean, and the waves can be enormous, they can be overwhelming there's a very real lack of control in grief. And like waves that break on a beach, we we can't anticipate when they come. And grief may hit us in two weeks' time, in two years or in 20 years' time. And at the moment when it hits, it's as intense is when you've just had that loss. So, I didn't put this on the slides or anything, but just two very simple things before we look at the scriptures together. For the sake of those who are grieving, if you don't know what to say, don't say anything, just be present. That's so important because I can't tell you the number of families that I've been with or parents who've lost children who tell stories of stupid things that people say because they don't know what to say. If you're not sure what to say, just be quiet and just say, Look, I'm here for you. And... Um, for Christians can I say do not ever be tempted to say it's God's will. It's not ever God's will that a baby should die. And it's not God's will that adults die either. It comes in because of the fall because we live in a sinful world, um, don't, don't ever say that. It's just, uh, it's, it's not pastorally hearted. It's, it's not something that anyone can ever take in. Um, yeah, we, we live in a broken world. And loss and grief is part of that breakage. Uh, Paul knows and understands this. In uh, verses 8 and 9 of the passage uh, that we read, we read Paul saying, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, the affliction that Paul is talking about is probably not uh, grief. It's it's a different kind of affliction, um, and what we're going to see is that there's a, a pattern here that Paul brings to us in this passage. Uh, but I want you to know and understand that um, the the heartache that we might feel because of loss is real. And God knows and understands it. Jesus wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. He wept even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And even though he had just said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. God understands our grief. So, big questions for today, and I'm just going to touch on these ones briefly. Um, It comes up frequently with families that have lost someone. What if I had done something differently? Uh, And the what if questions can be torturous and then where was God when this happened or how could God let this happen and these are really questions that you might frame as is it my fault is it God's fault and why is the world like this just briefly I want to say you know is it my fault you know this is a really tough question, and most of the time, I've, I've rarely had an instance where I've met with someone and, and you could say, yeah, perhaps what you've done has contributed to that. I, I don't think I've ever been in that situation. But it might be that a person, in their own circumstances, this loss, this grief, that I am experiencing is a loss or grief that is my fault. Um, Statistics would tell us that there will be some women amongst us who have had an abortion. And I want you to know straight up that we do not condemn you. And God does not condemn you. The example of David in the Bible is an instance where... You'll know the story in Second Samuel eleven and twelve. David sins by seeing Bathsheba, who's another man's wife. And I, I don't know why she was bathing naked on the the roof of her house. That seems a bit silly to me. But um, anyway, David lusts after her and invites her to the palace and has sex with her. And a child is conceived. And David, thinking, uh, "How can I get out of this?" invites her husband back from the battle. And uh, the husband comes back, but out of solidarity with his brethren who are still fighting the battle, he doesn't go into his wife and have uh, marital relations with her. And so David is left with this problem. And so he organizes for Uriah to be sent into the heat of the battle where he will die and he dies. And so effectively David is not only an adulterer, but a murderer And the prophet Nathan comes with a message from God, and the, and the crux and the outline of that message is that David has sinned, and that the result of his sin is that the baby will die. You could say in that instance, it's pretty clear that what's happened is the result of David's sin. And in Psalm 51 we have this tremendous psalm where David pours out his heart in repentance to God and receives God's forgiveness. And it's interesting that later on in 2 Kings as all of the following kings of Judah are evaluated, they're evaluated in light of David. And we read... Things like, and Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David his father had done. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done. And so I want to say if if for whatever reason your grief and loss you think is... Because of something that you have done, I want to encourage you that as God forgives David, he will forgive you and you should forgive yourself also. Um, There's also an example in the New Testament of a man who is blind from birth And in John chapter 9, we read, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, sometimes bad things happen in our world because... Sin generally has corrupted our whole world. I encourage you to go back and listen to the message that Jonathan preached um, some weeks ago on on the second part of Romans chapter 8. And our world is groaning under the weight of sin. But God wants to bring about his glory even through the brokenness of our world and he reveals his glory in us, his children. Isn't that tremendous? God uses even our brokenness. And Paul says, in my weakness, his strength is displayed. I've not really answered all of these questions fully. That They would take a long, long time to do that. And I'm happy to have those sorts of discussions. If, if you're hurting and you want to tr- talk through these sorts of things, uh, I'm available. And so is Pastor Eddie, Pastor Jonathan, when he comes back. And if you want to speak with a lady, uh, we have a pastoral care team um, and we can put you in touch with someone Uh, who would be happy to talk with you. So these are big questions, but I think the bigger question is this. Can God help me in the pain of my grief? And that's what today's passage is all about. And the big idea today is that the God of all comfort promises to comfort those who mourn. Uh, I love this promise that Jesus made. I share it frequently Um, with Christian families that I'm working with in my my funeral work. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that promise, it's really part of an eschatological sort of worldview. Um, If you don't know what that word means, eschatology is about the the study of the, the future things, the end times. And the, the Beatitudes that this is part of, this promise, they're really focused on looking towards when God's kingdom is fully consummated, when we go to be with him in heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But I believe that this promise is also answered in the here and now. Uh, before we look at the passage in 2 Corinthians, I, I thought it would be helpful for us to have a think about what is comfort. Uh, biblically, there's, there's two Greek words that are translated in the New Testament. Uh, they're related words, uh, paraklesis and parakaleo. I'm not a Greek scholar. I didn't learn this because I know Greek. I, I look at commentaries and, and other sorts of um, books which provide these sorts of definitions and so on but one's a, a noun paraklesis is a noun and parakaleo is a verb and in the passage in second corinthians we have the the noun and the verb um, used quite frequently um, in in verses three and four the word in the In the translation I'm using here, the word comfort comes through five times in two verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. There's your noun. Who comforts us. That's an active doing thing that God does. That's a verb. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. That's us actively doing the comforting. Um... With the comfort, that's the noun, which we ourselves are comforted by God. So you can see how they're working together, the interplay there. Um, but that word, par- these two words, in the New Testament, they're not just translated as comfort. <laughs> they're translated in a number of other ways, urge, comfort encourage beg appeal exhort implored entreat pleaded invited and the context tends to determine how they are um, how they are um, translated and so you've you've got situations like the Centurion who appears to Jesus uh, who has a paralyzed servant and he's appealing to Jesus for his servant to be healed and then um, Jairus, um, who is a synagogue leader who falls at Jesus' feet and implores him earnestly to heal his daughter. These are instances where people are asking or begging or beseeching Jesus to act on their behalf. Uh, Many times through the, the letters, people are urged By the the writers to do things. And so um, on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. And so this is a this is asking someone to do something. It's also used as the word encourage. Uh, So we see Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. After they've done a missionary journey through, they go back through the towns of Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, encouraging them to continue in their faith. Same word. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we have hope. All of these different interpretations bring us a depth of understanding of what this word comfort means. And so I've got the Chris Cullen definition. Um, Comfort is God's supernatural compassion for grieving people who are overwhelmed and desperately need the encouragement and eternal hope that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know... If God is the God of all comfort, as 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, then all comfort comes from God. Yes, people who are not Christians can receive comfort, just the same as God promises that the rain falls on both the righteous and the wicked. God's blessings are available for all, and his comfort is available for all, but we will most um, fully understand and receive his comfort if we do so through the Christian understanding of comfort. And so we have a look at the passage itself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. The Father of mercies. We'll talk about that in a moment. And God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It sounds a bit like a circular argument, doesn't it? But what it is saying, God is the source of our comfort, of all comfort. God comforts us in all our affliction, whatever loss we might be experiencing, or other types of afflictions. God comforts us And that is for a purpose. We receive comfort so that we also may comfort others. And when that works in the church, that's a precious thing. When we come alongside one another to encourage, to build up, To just be present in someone's grief. To walk the journey with them. God's love is demonstrated. God is the God of all comfort. He comforts us that we might comfort others. That's the simple message of this chapter. God is the God of all comfort. Uh, So what we want to recognize is that comfort is God's work. In Psalm 23, very well-known psalm at funerals, we read, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. When we are traveling through that valley of the shadow of death, God brings us comfort. The rod and staff doesn't sound comforting to us because we're not sheep in a Jesus-era sheep flock. (laughs) But the rod and the staff were comforting to the sheep because they knew that the shepherd was there guiding them. In Psalm 71 verse 21, the psalmist writes, you, speaking to God, will increase my greatness and comfort me again. In Psalm eighty-seven, uh, sorry, 86 verse 17, the psalm writer writes, you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. In Isaiah 51, God says, I, I am he who comforts you. And in Isaiah 66, we read, As one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you. This is God's words to Israel. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. That's a tender picture, isn't it, of a mother comforting a child? We've probably all remember a time when we ourselves, or when children of our own, or children we know, have been comforted by a mother. They've perhaps fallen over. They're crying. They've skinned their knee. And they come to Mum crying. And there's a tenderness there. And there's a tenderness in the embrace which God. Wishes to give to each person who is mourning. The second really important thing for us to recognize is that as God is the God of all comfort, He is also with us as believers through the Holy Spirit. And in John chapters 14 to 16, four occasions when Jesus is talking about the fact that he's going to leave, he's going to to go into heaven, and he's going to prepare a place for us to go. And four times through these chapters, he talks about sending the Holy Spirit. John 14 verses 16 and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. What a tremendous promise that the Holy Spirit dwells with us and will be in us as believers. Not with the whole world, he says, but with you who believe. And that word helper in in my ESV it, it translates helper, but it's the same word, comfort, the comforter. That's the literal translation. The comforter. The Holy Spirit is our comforter and he dwells with us. How precious to know that the God of all comfort dwells within us as believers to bring us that comfort personally. In your time of heartache and grief, I encourage you to hold on to that truth. Call upon God. God ask him to comfort your heart the second thing we learn from verses 3 and 4 here is that God comforts us in all our affliction a little later on in the passage Paul goes on to talk about his own affliction which was likely some sort of um, Thing that happened to him on account of his being an apostle of Christ so uh, you know Paul received beatings he was imprisoned uh, he was on a ship that sunk um, Paul had all sorts of afflictions happen to him on account of the fact that he was an apostle of Christ but what this verse tells us is that God comforts us in all of our afflictions. The specific instance that Paul provides later about how God comforted him in his specific afflictions is different, perhaps, to the afflictions that we face. Now, it may be that some of you face affliction, face persecution for your Christian faith. And God will bring comfort to you in that also. But if your affliction is grief or loss... That is covered here. God comforts us in all our afflictions. Whatever it is that you face, whatever heartache that you endure, God is ready and he wants to bring to you the comfort that only he can bring. The Holy Spirit reminds us of God's mercy we, we read, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Part of the comfort that we have is the fact that our sins are not held against us. And if we are asking that question, is it my fault? What if I had done something else? God wants us to know that he is merciful that he will not hold our sin against us when we trust in Christ the Holy Spirit reminds us of our salvation he reminds us of our eternal hope in Christ so many of the instances of the use of this word this Greek word, whether it's translated as comfort or encourage or urge or beseech or ask, so many of those instances relate to people crying out for the salvation of God in physical ways for the healing of people. And comfort comes to us particularly in understanding our eternal hope in Christ this this world this physical world that we live in with so many of the griefs and losses that we endure it is not the end our end in Christ is eternity where there will be no more death where there will be no more sickness, where we will be God's people and he will be our God and we will be united forever. That eternal hope gives us strength to continue even though we live with great loss and grief here and now. One of the commentators I was reading wrote this uh, the, the name of the gentleman who wrote this commentary is David Garland and he writes about another commentator Watson comments that the word comfort has gone soft in modern English in the time of Wycliffe this is back in the 1500s in the time of Wycliffe the word was closely connected with its root the Latin fortis which means brave strong courageous The comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with a languorous feel of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. It's the kind of comfort I think we want, isn't it? Not just something to dull the pain. There are plenty of things that dull the pain and plenty of people in grief that have turned to alcohol or drugs or other things to dull the pain. But the comfort that God gives, it helps us. It sustains our sagging spirits. Uh, when Captain and I lost our daughter Laura, I can't tell you how much in a tangible way we knew that people were praying with us. There were a lot of people that were praying for us. We, we had people in our church at Barrel that were praying for us. We had lots of friends from the churches we had come from that we'd grown up in at, at Ryde Baptist Church and Castle Hill Baptist Church. There were lots of people there praying for us. And in a very real sense, we felt tangibly that people were praying for us I can't explain it. It's, it's a spiritual thing. Did we grieve? Absolutely. We grieve for years. We still grieve. The, the pain of that loss is intense still when it hits. But God sustained us. He helped us to carry on. And he helped us to do what this passage says. To comfort others. So that we may comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort that we have received, Paul says, we're to comfort others. You may not have thought about that in your loss. Perhaps you've lost a parent, a grandparent. Sadly, I'm sure there are some others who have lost children, who've had miscarriages. With the comfort that God has given you, we are encouraged to comfort others. And here is the application for our message. Share God's mercy and love. Be present with people. Gently encourage others to receive God's salvation. I debated this. You must be gentle. You can't go Bible bashing someone when they've suffered a loss. Um... That gentle encouragement might take months or even years and it comes in relationship. If you don't have a relationship with someone, um, it's very difficult to do this. You must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and not try to go ahead as if this person's salvation is somehow a, a project for you. But with love and sensitivity, the thing that will bring the most healing and comfort to a person is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So gently encourage others to receive God's salvation and find consolation in our eternal hope through Jesus Christ. Point people to that hope. Hold on to it yourself. God comforts us in our affliction so that we may comfort others. The God of all comfort promises to comfort those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. If today this has raised some Um, some feelings for you raised memories that have triggered emotions I want to invite you at the conclusion of our service Uh, you're welcome to come down the front I'll be available to pray with people Uh, I might just ask um, Judy and Alan if you do you mind being available as well I know you're on music Um, Linda if you wouldn't mind Um, Warren and Kathy if, if you're willing Um, we want to walk with you and if you're in need of comfort God is the God of all comfort and he offers it freely we'd love to share it with you let me pray Heavenly Father, you know what is going on in the hearts and minds of each person here and those who are watching online. We thank you for the promises of your word, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who dwells within all who believe in Christ. We pray and thank you for your tenderness that like a mother comforts a child that you have promised to comfort us. Give us an understanding of the eternal hope that we have in Christ. And of the glory that we will see there. So that these light and momentary troubles, as Paul terms them, even though they are overwhelming now, will be understood in the perspective of eternity. And help us with one another to love and to show mercy and compassion and gentleness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.